Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and welcome once again to The Next Track. This is episode number 91, and it is brought to you by Econ Technologies, the makers of ChronoSync backup and sync software. I will be telling you some more about ChronoSync a little later on in the program, as well as a special savings offer for you, too. We are recording and publishing a little late today. Hey, Siri, what time is it in Boston? The time in Boston, Massachusetts, the United States, is 10.08. Because somebody got themselves a HomePod, and it arrived this morning. Now, wait a minute. Now, even before we start talking about HomePod, I, I have to talk about the vicarious techno lust that you instilled in me this morning. Kirk texts me this morning and he with the message, the HomePod is 30 minutes away. And I'm like, how do you know this? And Kirk has his delivery system that has a GPS on it that tracks his delivery so he can look at a Google map and see how far away the van is. Now, if it were me, I'd be running out of the house, tracking the guy down, saying, move me up in the queue. I'll take it right now. I can save you a trip down my street. But obviously, you, you can't do that. But I thought that was really interesting that, you know, for people like us who are waiting for that UPS thump, as my father used to call it, on the front porch, you know, that excitement of waiting for the new thing to arrive. It, it was great that you have this technological ability to just mainline the techno lust by following the van on a Google map. I think it's just, I think it's fabulous. <laughs> There's only one company here that does this. They're called DPD. And when they're delivering something, they text you a message with a link and it says your driver and his name will be delivering between, in this case, 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. And you click the link and it's a little mini Google map embedded on the page. And every time you refresh it, you can see you are delivery number 46. Your driver is currently at delivery number seven. He is one hour and 50 minutes away. And you can refresh the page if you want, and you can follow him and you can see as he approaches it. And you can see that he's, you know, 10 deliveries away is maybe a mile away that he's got all these deliveries in, in the village next to mine before he gets here. He actually ended up coming in a bit earlier than expected. So I was able to have enough time to use the HomePod to test it out, to listen to a variety of music, to be able to really understand what it does. Well, that's good because obviously we're all very interested in getting your opinion. Um, I haven't read any other reviews. I've seen the snapshot reviews on Twitter and things like that, but I purposely not read any lengthy reviews because um, I wanted to know what you thought about it. And what everybody seems to agree on is it sounds really good and the feature set is somewhat limited with Siri. Is that it in a nutshell? Well, I'm not a big fan of Siri in general. I use it on my Apple Watch when I'm cooking to set a timer or a reminder. Sometimes I use it to make a, a shopping list or something really simple. I, I found too many times that it just makes mistakes when I try to set up calendar events, sending a text message, you, you end up with Mondegreens. You know, you say something, but Siri hears something that sounds the same and that's different and sends a text message to someone and they're wondering why you just said to them, open the yellow alligator or something, whatever it is. Yeah, I find it, I find it very inconsistent. In fact, in order to force me to use Siri more often, I've changed the voice to the UK female just to make her interesting to listen to. Um, she says things like Douglas and things like that. And it's just, it just makes it a little more entertaining as an enticement to get me to use it. But even then, I find it very inconsistent. Well, it is limited on the HomePod. Hey, Siri, what can I ask you? You can ask me things like, 
Hey Siri, where's the nearest coffee shop? Hey Siri, will I need an umbrella today? Or hey Siri, what time does Costco close? Costco in the UK? <laughs> There's a bit of a problem. There are no Costco's here. I have my iOS device set to US region for the language, for the, the, the format, for the, for the keyboard settings, for the spelling settings and all that. So that makes things a little bit complicated. I don't understand why it thinks you're in the United States and near a Costco, though. Well, it knows it should know where I am because the HomePod is connected to my iPhone. So when you set up the HomePod, you have to set it up with an iOS device. It's either an iPhone or an iPad. It only has its full functionality if that iOS device is present on the network. Now, it can do some personalized things, maybe reminders, but I'm not exactly sure. I haven't had time to play around with it. It's not a full Siri. It, you can't set a calendar event. You can't ask it when your next appointment is, or you can't ask it for directions, obviously, because you're not going anyplace with it. Where's the kitchen? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Siri, where's the kitchen? One option is our kitchen, a Thai place on Swan Street in Warwick, which averages four and a half stars, and it's moderately priced. Hey, Siri, shut up. Hours. You see, that's one of the problems. You ask Siri a question, and it just understands something totally different. In any case, uh, as always, this event starts with the unboxing, and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to an article I wrote for Macworld a few years ago in praise of Apple's packaging. All the things you buy, have you ever seen packaging as good as Apple's, where you've always got this little strip to pull to open it, or the plastic that surrounds the box, you don't have to get a pair of scissors to slice it. You just pull on a little tab and it just comes apart. Put on a little harpsichord music while you're doing it. Exactly. It's a wonderful operation. And so the first surprise, well, the first surprise is when the delivery person hands you the box and you feel how heavy it is. It's quite a heavy device. It really is. You know, there is this sort of myth in hi-fi that heavier amplifiers are better. I don't know if this is really true, but you look at this device, you look at how small it is, it's smaller than my head, if that's an example. It's it's smaller than you might expect if you haven't seen one in person, but it's also much denser, much heavier than you would expect. Let's uh, let's just cut to the chase here. Uh, what do you think of the sound? Do you really want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, if you're not busy. <laughs> yes, I'm anxious to know what you think about, uh, you know, the sound overall. I know this is the first small type speaker you've used, isn't it? Oh, no, you had some, did you have a Sonos for a little while? I, I've, ha I've had a couple of different standalone speakers. I had a Sonos Play 5, which is the wide one that's like, it's a stereo speaker. So you've got two channels and you've got a, a woofer in the middle. I had a Cambridge Audio Minx 100, which is similar to that. Uh, so this isn't the first time I've had a standalone speaker. This is the first time I've had a small, non-true stereo standalone speaker. And I'll get to that stereo thing in a few minutes. Let me just start by saying that when it sounds good, it sounds great. It really sounds amazing. And when it doesn't sound good, it really doesn't sound good. It sounds like a bad car stereo. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty low threshold. Well, there is a wide variety of sound quality. And so here's the thing. The audience for this is not the person who has a stereo amplifier next to him and two stereo speakers on his desk. The audience for this is someone who wants to play music in a room unobtrusively, and, and I'll give them credit for that. It is really small, and it's loud. My office here is fairly large. It's about 30 square meters, 300 square feet, and I was putting this on my desk, and I was at the other end, and it's loud. It's loud enough to be loud. I mean, you can dance to it. Um, it doesn't have that little tinny sort of hesitant sound. It's got oomph. It's got energy. 
Now, the problem is not all the music we listen to needs oomph and energy. So when it does sound good, it's really something. Near the, I, I listened to about 30 songs, and I've, got, and I've got some notes here that I took. I went through the music that I have played the most. I don't believe in using special CDs or, or LPs to test your stereo because they are not real sounds. They're going to be sounds that, you know, are designed to sound fancy. They're the kind of sounds that a stereo dealer would want you to hear on the stereo to think, wow, that sounds great. But what you need to do when you listen to new audio equipment is play music that you know by heart, where you know every single note, where you can remember exactly how the drum sound over here, or that sound when David Grisman starts playing the mandolin in Ripple by the Grateful Dead. That's the kind of thing, and you're immediately going to be able to place the sound of the device you're listening to because you know the music. You're not listening to unfamiliar music. Now, turns out back in the day, I actually did listen to a lot of Coldplay. My son bought Coldplay albums, and I found it great music to put on in my earbuds when I was out walking in the mountains. So near the end of my listening session, I put on The Scientist. You remember that one? It's got the music video that goes in reverse with the, the crash and the car and the driving and all that. Sure, yeah. I have a feeling that Apple tuned the HomePod to this song. Because this song sounds almost perfect. This would be the perfect demo song. You're always going to lose something with a speaker like this. But in this one, I didn't feel like anything was lost. Or, or I didn't feel that what was lost made any difference to the way I appreciated the music or the sound. I know you're not going to talk, we're not going to talk specifically about the way it sounds, the way it projects the music, but I'm wondering if the mastering on a modern record like Coldplay has a lot to do with the way it's heard. For instance, I remember when we, we talked about mastering, one of the concerns that they were having, that mastering engineers are having now, is how do you master music for these standalone speakers? And I'm wondering if that compromise was already built into the Coldplay album. Well, this Coldplay album is more than 10 years old, so I don't think that's the case. But I'm thinking that Apple... So what you need to know is that this is a speaker that uses digital signal processing, DSP, for all the music it plays. You can't get a flat reproduction of music. It will not sound like the music sounds on what you're used to listening to. Everything is processed in some way. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One of them is because it is not technically a stereo device. Now, some reviews have said that that ring of seven tweeters around the bottom actually that the device actually sends out sounds from different channels to different sides. I couldn't really hear that. And I was trying with music where one side is different, you know, stuff in the 60s where it's split. Is the thought here that it would orient itself somehow so that left and right, it knew what left and right was? Yeah, so that's another thing. It knows what left and right is if you place it against a wall because it has microphones in it so it can hear the echo reverbing from one of the tweeters to know the distance. Now, I put it on my desk in front of my iMac presuming that that would give it the feeling that there was a wall. But I was never really sure when I was listening to it whether I was listening to right and left at right and left, or if, as you move around, the right and left are in different places. Now, here's something interesting. One thing that people have said is it makes every spot in the room a sweet spot, and that's true. But when you have a omnidirectional speaker every spot will be a sweet spot, no matter what. This isn't like you have two stereo speakers and the closer you are to one, the louder it sounds. So no matter where you are, it sounds good. But one thing I noticed is I put it on and I was on one side of the room 
And then I moved to the other side, and it almost sounded as though the music changed about a second and a half after I moved. In other words, it detected the reflection of my body as being different from the reflection of the wall before I was there and slightly adjusted the sound. So I was wondering that. I mean, can it track you in the room? I mean, I realize it's, it's checking the density of the space. That sounds a little far-fetched, though. Well, no, because theoretically, it's going to adjust itself for the room based on what it hears, based on the reflections. And if reflections change, such as you open or close curtains on a window, I would expect it to change. This is pretty fancy engineering that they've got in here, this digital signal processing. It's not just blasting out the music. It's doing a lot more. I wonder how it would change if you had a group of people moving around, milling around, say like you might have at a party or a dinner or that sort of thing. Well, I would say that if they're constantly moving, but they're constantly there, it would probably not change too much. But the difference of being alone in a room with a bare wall and then all of a sudden a person in front of it, that would make a difference in reflection. It's not impossible that it's able to detect that. Now, one of the problems of this is it sounds to me like it's made to be like Beats headphones. There's very strong bass. There's not a lot of, it's not very forgiving for music that doesn't have a lot of bass. But when you get something with a lot of bass and drive, my God, it sounds really good. One example is Cold Irons Bound by Bob Dylan. This is a song that was with a bonus DVD on the Modern Times album. There have been a couple of versions of this. There's a live version on Mastin Anonymous. There's a mellower version on Time Out of Mind, but there's this really, this roadhouse rock version, this live version that just kicks butt. It really does. And it's a song that he's been doing live for years, and it's great live. That just has this total energy and just fills the room. And it's the kind of music where you don't have a lot of detail, but it's okay. Another example is the Talking Heads Zimbra. When you hear those drums come in in the bass, it, it's really good for that sort of music. It'd be great a lot for... Of space in that, a lot of space in that song, too. Yeah, well, you don't get the space so much through the home pod, but what you do get is the bass and the rhythm and, and the energy of the, the variation when you're going from low to high. Remember, there's, there's congos and there's cymbals and there's the low bass and all that, and, and that comes through very well. It's quite responsive in terms of changes in, in volume like that. Let's take a short break here, and I know you want to talk about the music that you tested, your expectations, and the conclusions you've made from that, and we'll do that in just a minute. So whether it's your media collection or other important files, having a backup strategy is not only key to surviving data loss or damage, but also keeping your sanity, should that kind of tragedy ever occur at your house. Next Track listeners know that we talk about backing up all the time, and that's why we'd like to recommend Chronosync, the backup and sync software from Econ Technologies. Chronosync allows you to easily set up various scheduling tasks. You don't have to back up everything all at once to just one place. Now, Chronosync uses creation assistants that already have some common backup and folder sync tasks to choose from. Backup just the home folder, sync from this folder to that folder, this volume to that volume. Frankly, for most people, they're all you're going to need. But you can create your own specific backup or sync schedules too. For instance, Kirk uses it to sync video files from his main iMac to the Plex server on his Mac Mini, which is in some closet somewhere. Chronosync can sync or backup to and from any device that can be mounted on your Mac. Now, one of the things I really admire about the developers of Chronosync is that they've got this old-fashioned idea that you should try out software before you buy it. So, you can download a full-featured 15-day trial of Chronosync to see how it can work with your workflow. It's a great way to check out all of Chronosync's features, including 
drive cloning, bootable backup creation, cloud backup. So listen, because you're a Next Track listener, when you do decide to purchase Chronosync, because I think you will, you can save 25%. Now here's all you do. Go to this episode's page at thenexttrack.com. This is episode number 91. And click the link there that takes you to the Chronosync page, and the 25% savings will be yours. Whatever your backup or sync scenario, Chronosync has got you covered. Download the full-featured 15-day trial of Chronosync today at econtechnologies.com. And we thank them for being a sponsor of the next track. Okay, you said earlier, when it sounds good, it's great. However, do I detect a... But. There it is. (laughs) All is not well in the world of HomePod. One of the first songs I put on is Brian Eno's Another Day on Earth. Great song. I just love that song. In fact, I love the way it fades in, and I use this with my alarm when I have my iPhone wake me up in the morning because it fades in slowly before the music comes in. It starts okay, but it gets the vocals get a bit harsh, and there's way too much bass. And so this is going to be a refrain in my discussions here that there's too much bass. There's very often too much bass. Now, what I eventually did, I was playing through iTunes, is I put on the equalizer with the bass reducer, and that made a big difference. If you are having Siri play music for you, then you won't be able to do that. And I think what Apple's going to need to do is offer some sort of equalization setting, the same that you have in an iPhone, the same that you have in iTunes, although iTunes, you have much more control over different frequency bands. In the iPhone, you could choose bass booster, bass reducer, and and a number of EQ settings like that. And I think they really need that because this is the weak spot of music where the bass takes over and drowns the vocals because there's only a woofer, which is really deep, and there's the tweeters, and and the the range of frequency that the woofers can handle sort of goes into the mid-range, but there's that gap where the vocals are that sometimes doesn't really come through. So I listened to Faith by The Cure, and, and this sounded really good in the beginning. You have this bass and bass drum beat that comes in with the sort of electronic drums that sound like brushes, right? Before the vocals come in, it, it, st- it sounded really nice in the beginning. But then when the vocals came in, the, the vocals weren't clear because the bass was kind of drowning it out. And this is something I noticed a lot. David Bowie's Heroes, for example, the first couple parts, you couldn't really hear the voice. And it, it, the voice only really comes through in that third part where he's yelling, where he moves back from the microphone and he's yelling. And there you can hear the vocals. There's some interesting, there's some interesting vocal processing at that point in the song as well. And I'm wondering if it picked up those frequencies better than it picked up the earlier processing of the vocal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because so what what Tony Visconti did is he was moving the microphone away from Bowie as the song was going on. So Bowie had to sing louder. And in that final part, he's yelling. He's really yelling. So there's more there's more voice there than there is in the beginning. And there's a lot more presence of the voice. And I would think it would get picked up better. So it's not surprising. Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd, and this is a song that I've known since the 1970s, and it sounded really good. It really did. It sounded like a good car stereo. Oh, yeah. The the acoustic guitar sounded nice. The vocals sounded nice. That's the sort of non-complicated music where the bass doesn't overwhelm. Brian Eno's St. Elmo's Fire, that sounded really good, the, the sort of faux surround sound that this device gives. And so it's doing something with processing... I guess it's a phasing thing or a timing thing to give it a sort of a surround sound. And St. Elmo's Fire, it starts with this sort of electro do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and it comes in, it builds up, and there's this wonderful searing Robert Fripp guitar solo, which really came out well on, on this speaker. There's a lot of bass, but the bass didn't overwhelm. 
So, you know, it's, it's really a, a case-by-case thing here. Some things sound good. For example, Joy Division's song, She's Lost Control, the music comes in and it's nice, but then it starts getting muddy, and, but then the vocals come in, which are sort of layered, and they're really spacious, and the vocals stand out a lot. You know that kind of layered vocal where, I don't know what, exactly what you call the technique, where you've got multiple layers with a tiny delay to make it sound almost like a chorus? Yeah, it's got like a stereo delay effect on it. You know, one of the things I was wondering is you've been, you know, talking about all these particular songs, and I presume that you've been listening critically, but I'm wondering, and at, and at high volume, and I'm wondering if you've had a chance to listen a little more casually at lower volume. Does it make adjustments for low level? Yes, I think it uses one of those continuous variable loudness systems. And I don't know if we mentioned that when we talked about my Yamaha amplifier. The, the thing is that as sound gets lower, we don't hear the different frequency ranges the same. And the loudness control on an amplifier is mainly designed for that. When you're listening soft, you up the loudness. So the low end and the high end go up. And listening to it at a soft volume, it does sound quite balanced. It sounds like it's loud but turned down, but it doesn't sound like it's loud but turned down all across the frequency spectrum. And and that in and of itself is is quite impressive because you won't get that on a standalone speaker um, anyplace else. Well, I, my wife has a, a, a Bose SoundLink, and it seems to do that. It ha- I mean, okay, perhaps you know what I mean. It's it, it sounds great, and it, it at loud volumes it fills the room, and at low volumes you can pretty much hear everything. There's a bit of a mid-range gap, I guess you'd say, but um, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that because I think that's the sort of use case that most people are going to be using this for when they're listening to music. It's going to be, you know, background, and it, you want it to sound good at low volumes. I'm I'm certain it sounds great really loud. It must be awesome loud. It it is impressive. I'm I'm amazed at how loud it does sound and how much it does fill the room. You would have no problem really partying with this device and it would be even better when you can put two of them into a stereo pair which is coming sometime later this year so let me just mention a few other songs that i listened to more pieces of music because some of them were songs and and i did some classical and jazz listening one of my test tracks has always been the grateful dead's ripple as i said earlier you've got that dave grisman mandolin that comes in it's acoustic it's it's impeccable studio recording it's it's this Crosby, Stills, and Nash-inspired harmonies, and it's a beautiful-sounding recording. It sounds spacious and balanced. It, it's not overly bassy on the record, so it comes over very well. Another one that I use, and, and this is one that I've told you about in the past, it's Brad Meldow's Exit Music for a Film. It's his version of a Radiohead song. It just doesn't work. So this is a piano trio, piano, acoustic bass, and drums. And what I really like about this as a test track is the drummer is playing this amazing cymbal work, these really intricate rhythms on the cymbals, and you hear them on the right side, and they come in and out, and then then the drums build up as the song, song goes along, but they never really loud drums. Listening to that, the bass overwhelmed. You couldn't really detect the difference between the bass and the piano, and the drums were just... They just weren't there. And and I was switching back and forth between my stereo and the HomePod in iTunes using AirPlay. And the difference is, is extraordinary. You know, how much how much better it does sound through my stereo than it does sound through the HomePod. Yeah, I've listened to that that piece you've you've recommended to me and it's it's got a lot of sound in there for a very light piece. There's there's a hits a lot of frequencies and it's it's actually yeah. a very good test for, for speakers. 
it's quite intricate because you have a lot of polyrhythms when you when you compare the piano to the drums there's a lot of polyrhythms going on and a lot of back and forth and, and it's a beautiful track in the show notes i'll put some apple music links for some of the songs that i've mentioned here if anyone wants to check them out and maybe try them to test your music but really if you're going to test an audio device use music you know don't use music someone else knows so obviously i needed to check out some classical music i put on a string quartet beethoven's opus 95 and there's no space at all the music wasn't clear no sense of left and right it muddy it just didn't sound good this is the Takash Quartet's recording on Decca, which is really one of the better mastered and engineered recordings of these works, and it just wasn't convincing. I, I don't think this is the ideal device for critical listening of classical music. I bought this to put in the bedroom, and I'm actually going to put it behind the bed. We've got a fireplace with a, a little shelf on top, and I'm going to put it there because there's no room for me to put a, a full stereo in the bedroom. If I listen to classical music, it'll be more as background while I'm reading or something. So I'm not too concerned about that, but that sort of classical music didn't sound good. On the other hand, Jordi Saval's recording of Captain Tobias Hume's musical humors sounds really rich and full, and it's a little bit boomy, but this is a solo bass vial, and it really has presence. When it's a solo instrument, it, it can sound very good, but again, it, it depends on the instrument. A recording of Purcell's Fantasias for Vile Consort sounded blurry and muddy, just like the string quartet. So it's not a device that's really good at at these sounds that are often mid-range sounds. These instruments, like a string quartet, isn't really high treble. The cello's low, but it's not really low. So that's sort of the weak spot in this type of device. So I listened to a recording by Madalena Kojena of the Aria Erbama Dish. Sorry about my German pronunciation from Bach St. Matthew Passion. It's this beautiful aria with a slight continuo and obligato violin and just this, this soaring voice, this mezzo-soprano that just soars. Unfortunately, the voice didn't really stand out. You didn't get the feeling that the voice was in front of the music, but that the voice was in the middle of the music. And that's not what you want when you've got a soloist singing an aria like that. I didn't get the feeling that there was that there was any there there, if that makes sense. It sounded too flat, um, not, not very interesting. Do you suppose this mid-range problem is also going to exist when there are two of them playing in stereo? I mean, is that just something? Well, it's a frequency issue. Yeah, I think it is. But, uh, but I think the real problem is if there, if there were a possibility to change the EQ more easily, with iTunes, it does make a slight difference, but there needs to be a control for this device with EQ settings, because not everyone wants that kind of bassy sound. Some people will, just like they like Beats headphones, and this is probably going to sound great for hip-hop or, or electro-pop and all that music where you really want the strong rhythm. But if that's not your kind of music, this isn't, it's not ideal. Back to one that sounded really good, Tangled Up in Blue on Blood on the Tracks sounded wonderful. Clear vocals, the guitar, you know, that acoustic guitar sound, it sounded really good. It sounded balanced. Again, this is something where you don't have one part of the music that's overwhelming the other, and, and somehow it just wraps that in, in the right colored ribbon, as it were. Back to jazz, another Brad Meldow, uh, his trio again, Riverman. It, it sounded nice, but there was a lack of separation between the bass and the piano. So this is the kind of thing, this is from a Nick Drake song that he covered. It's the kind of thing where the bass goes along with the beat on the piano. And so as the piano 
plays the lone notes. The bass is, is at the same time. And you don't really get the feel that the bass is there. And the drums are a little bit, when the drums get complex later in the song, they start out relatively mellow and they get a lot more complex. Then the sound gets kind of muddy. It's a little disappointing when you hear something like that. Again, this is a song I know very, very well. I've had this album 15, 20 years. And, and it just kind of loses that unique character of the song. Truckin' by the Grateful Dead sounds good. It's on the same album as Ripple, American Beauty. There's a little bit too much bass, but it sounds good because American Beauty is really well produced and, and it seems like the kind of album that fits in really well. And that, I'm just thinking now I need to listen to Exile on Main Street because that might be the kind of album that sounds good because... As we all know, after they mastered it, what did they do? They uh, drove around and, and listened to it in a car to, to see how it would sound on crappy speakers. Right, because they knew that that's how most people listen to it. So the sound right. works really well on not great speakers and works really well on a good stereo. So it's kind of, it's kind of a, an interesting balance. Exile on Main Street is one of my go-to test albums also. When I moved to France in 1984, I spent a year doing a lot of hitchhiking. I, I rented a house, but I was hitchhiking around the country. And I only had about a half dozen cassettes. And one of them was Exile on Main Street on one side and Beggar's Banquet and... Let It Bleed? Let It Bleed on the other side. Exactly. So I must have listened to those a hundred times that year. To, to the point that they're a bit played out, but I know those songs by heart. So yeah, that, that's the kind of thing. Another Coldplay song, Kingdom Come, sounds really good. And that, that's why it sounds like they tuned this for Coldplay. Now, I admit I did not listen to any U2. I was surprised that there was no U2 inside the HomePod already, <laughs> that it wasn't the first thing that automatically started playing. Right. But the Coldplay, for some reason, and again, this is early Coldplay. I don't know what they sound like these days, but they did have a sound then that kind of worked very well on iPods as it were. All right, we're just about to hit the 30-minute mark, so let me wrap it up by saying yep. thank you to Econ Technologies, the makers of ChronoSync Backup and Sync Software, for sponsoring this episode. You can download a full-featured 15-day trial of ChronoSync today at econtechnologies.com and then save 25% on ChronoSync. Just go to the episode 91 page at thenexttrack.com, click the link that takes you to the ChronoSync website, and start saving. Uh, do you want to do an extract? So for my next track, I don't have a next track because I think I've just given you about 50 next tracks to listen to. Uh, originally, I'd planned to, to use as my next track one or two of the songs that I've used to test the HomePod. But since you've already heard about them, there's no point in me mentioning them. Doug, have you got an extract this week? I like hot music. I like ragtime. I like Dixieland. I like the hot jazz of the 30s, the stuff you'd hear at the hot club like Django. I like hot R&B. I like hot Texas swing. Now, hot to me generally means that the music is so compelling that you want to dance to it with reckless abandon. In fact, my wife and I have actually taken swing dance lessons so that we could do just that at weddings we get invited to or whatever. Now, you may not agree with me, but Kletzmer music, traditional Yiddish music, is hot. And a few years ago, I ran across this album recorded by David Krakauer, a well-known jazz and Kletzmer clarinetist, and Fred Wesley, a jazz trombonist who's played with James Brown and George Clinton. And this was a band they called Abraham Inc. And the idea was to meld Kletzmer with funk and jazz and hip-hop. The album is called Tweet Tweet. It came out in 2010, and it is really exciting and sometimes wicked hot. Now, if you know Kletzmer, you know it features a lead clarinet that uses lots of trills and glissandos. Think like a, a snake charmer on acid. Well, this album has that. 
as well as some great funk and hip-hop. There's at least one vocal track on it, which is a bit more middle of the road, but the instrumentals really do take off. Now, I'm not a big jazz or hip-hop listener, but I really do like this album's groove. They even do a version of Hava Nagila, if you can believe it. This is the only album produced by this David Krakauer project, and that kind of makes it a little more precious. It's really good stuff. Abraham Inc., Tweet Tweet, is my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.